to Cup of Cuppy Blue, your MLB has four owners who don't think the luxury tax should go up at all home for Cubs, news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and more at Bleed Cubby Blue. And I am thrilled to be joined by Danny Rocket, who, if I am judging the background correctly, is no longer in Mexico. No, I am. I am back in Chicago, Illinois, and I just walked around Wrigley Field uh, just to kind of get my bearings. And uh, let me tell you, it doesn't look like there's baseball starting there anytime soon. And that was kind of a little I mean, they even got fences up. I mean, they're going to Ricketts is like, oh, can't can't have a season. All right, let's do let's build a sports book. Let's put down. I, I think they're actually putting down the fan bricks that everybody bought last year or two years ago. I forget when they sold those. But um Anyway, there's construction around the ballpark. It, it doesn't look like they're going to be uh, they have any plans for a start within the next few weeks. That's for sure. I'm no longer in Mexico anymore. Even I mean, they've got a little bit of wiggle room here because apparently MLB is sticking behind this idea that there have to be four weeks of spring training no matter what. So whenever they get the deal done, they'll spend four weeks hanging out in Arizona and Florida and then they will transition back. To their games. I mean, there is a lot to get into here. I am currently like neck deep in my TGFBI draft, which is going as slow as humanly possible. But I managed to get my Tout Wars draft done. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, if any of these playing time estimates that I have at all are even going to matter, because it sort of seems like they're just going to lop off like, you know, 10, 20% of the season, and we're all just going to have to live with it. That sort of feels like where we're at with this CBA thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> You get you guys will have all your players signed in your fantasy drafts a lot uh, faster than I think the MLB players will have the free or the MLB teams will have the the free agents signed for this season um, if there is a season. I mean it, it's uh, man it's I don't know how much they'll lop off. I mean I think you could easily say a month is gonna be is gone just because everybody knows that the owners already agreed to basically piss that away. That was pretty much baked into, I think, their cake because they knew they weren't going to make money during April anyway. They wanted the expanded playoffs. That's when they're going to get their money. And you know how it is. Yeah. Wrigley doesn't start getting cooked until, you know, May. I mean, if they could push it to Memorial Day and not pay those salaries, I mean, that's all gravy. Kids are out of school. You know, pr premium prices due right. July, you know. Well, and I mean, let's just start right here down a little bit in the show notes. So earlier this week, when we were all sort of trying to figure out how long can this lockout go and like, what are the financial implications of it? Ken Rosenthal uh, over at The Athletic dropped that in within the RSN contracts for each of these teams, there is a carve out where if they miss 25 games, they don't have to pay that money back to the RSN. So if I'm a regional sports network, I am super pissed right now because it seems like what has happened with the league is they are looking at that as their wiggle room for, oh, well, we're not going to lose any money on broadcast rights for the first 25 games. So we can just bank that money in terms of not paying our workers, in terms of not paying the players, theoretically. That has to be negotiated, by the way. I know that... Rob Manfred in his press conference said something to the effect of like, oh, yeah, the players are just going to lose that money. But that's not a thing that MLB can unilaterally dictate. That's a thing that gets negotiated as part of the collective bargaining agreement that they are negotiating. But I find this this idea that just like 25 of the games can be kind of locked off and MLB is still going to get the same amount of broadcast money to be sort of appalling. And if I'm Bali sports or 
marquee sports network or whatever Sinclair outfit out there owns those rights. I'd be sort of upset about that. Yeah. And, and because they knew that they could play within those rules, that those are the rules. That is how far they will bend everybody over until, uh, you know, there will, they feel the pressure to have a season. So 25 games was something that they never wanted to happen because they knew they could. It's almost the same thing as the manipulating service time. They're like, just because they can keep Chris Bryant down in favor of Mike Oltz, because Chris Bryant needs a little more seasoning down, (laughs) down in the minors, because, uh, you know, and then he comes up what mid late April. And after his, uh, after his whatever 15 13 game i forget how many it was but whatever it was and you know they knew they could manipulate that service time they know they can manipulate these 25 games and say well they will manipulate it they'll do everything they can to have an advantage that's business and if you don't like it you know you can suck it that's basically how they feel about this whole negotiating uh this of the cba and everything they do Totally. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about the negotiating of the CBA. The MLB Players Association sent a new offer to the owners on Sunday, March 6th, right just before we're recording this podcast. The details of that have kind of started to leak. I mean, I'll do a quick little recap of what is in here. It is notable to me that the players explicitly said that the league and Rob Manfred can change Certain specific rules with only 45 days notice, they did not give them blanket permission to change all of them. The rules that are potentially manipulable by MLB with 45 days notice are a pitch clock, uh, larger bases, which is apparently one of Theo's things that he's been testing in the minors. And I guess it's supposed to incentivize stealing more bags. Or I don't really know what the larger bases thing is supposed to do, but apparently they like it uh, and, and banning the shift or regulating the shift. I call it a base enhancement. A personally. base I enhancement. Just, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that they, they can lean right into that with their Roman ads that we're going to have to listen to for a year. <laughs> These new extra large bases brought to you by Roman. Uh, it's the, just so the, weird. I keep, I keep in my head seeing these giant cartoon bases, you know, or like, <laughs> do you remember those old bases that they would have that almost looked like pillows? You know, they were like big, puffy kind of pillows they almost felt like they didn't have rigid sides of like i think they like sacks like how they used to call it a, a sack are you referring you know to I mean? the they, bases that existed in like 1889 yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i'm just gonna keep picturing that but like really giant and just you know that you could like sit on it it was just like a big um big couch pillow um yeah i have a question about the bases so does this change 90 feet does this make it 89 feet, 11, 10 inches or something like I, that? I think you it know? probably like, does because you're like, you're just an inch or two closer to the bag. Like, I think it probably makes it so that you are, I mean, the bases have to, they're still square. So you, I think it would be like, I don't know, now it's 89 feet, 11 and a half inches or whatever, 89 feet, 10 inches or whatever. I, I imagine that it makes for... A lot of those like bang bang plays at first turn into guys being called safe now instead of guys being called out. And I would hope, although I can't prove this, I've not seen the extra large bases that they would also be like a tiny bit closer. Like I feel like you have to like spread the base out more and they're closer to the ground. So, that you know, those injuries where guys twist their ankle because they hit the bag going as fast as they can and then their ankle like goes off to the side. I'm hoping those 
art as like the base is redesigned in some way to make those not happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, fine to have a base redesign. I mean, could you, couldn't you just move it slightly back and maintain the ninety feet? You know, like I'm thinking about like second base specifically. So like it would or like home to first, it would still be ninety feet, but it would just be. Uh, the, it would be a little further back. Now, I don't know how that helps anybody. So what, why, what I'm, I guess what I'm wondering is you're talking about bigger bases, but why aren't they talking about it as like um, changing the length between bases? Like, it's just seems like double speak to me. It's like, Oh, we'll tell them it's bigger bases. Everybody love the idea. But if people understood that they are messing with the 90 feet, the, the symmetry, the classic 90 foot symmetry, which how many times in history is a guy safe at first or out at first because of exactly that it's 90 feet. And like, that is how fast a human can run after hitting a ball. That is how like it, the game is perfect in that way for this long. And now they're like, "Eh, let's move it a little closer. Okay. Well, Danny, I I feel like this is going to upset you because I just got an answer from the Louisville courier journal where, uh, you know, they've been experimenting with some of these, these changes in the minor leagues. So, the larger bases at AAA provide more area for fielders and runners to step on the spacious base, limiting the potential for collisions. So it does have some of that injury thing in it that I was talking about. But uh, the bigger bags have another effect, too. They shrink the base paths by mm. four and a half inches. Oh, so it's, so it's not 90 feet anymore. It's it's 80. Well, it's 89 feet and 10 inches because you're do, doing four on each side, I would I'm guessing. No, it says that the distance between first base and second base is 4.5 inches shorter. Oh, well, then that's, I mean, I guess you're getting eight inches on that side. I mean, because then you get, cause what is it between second and third? Also four inches shorter? I, I oh, no, because each base is longer. So you're getting it from each base. I get it. So, so you're getting like yeah, two, still on a square. Each, two from each base. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So, uh, I don't know. It's stupid. It's ruining the 90 feet thing. <laughs> it's, I mean, all I care is the 90 feet thing. Like that's, but then why have the bigger basis? Maybe for the injury. Great. Uh, you can prevent injuries with it, but 90 feet. I mean, that's it's not true anymore. And, huh? It'll, they're going to break it. I'm thinking back to Ken Burns's baseball. And there's this scene where some old guy, and I don't remember which old guy it is, so I apologize. But, I mean, the there's thing a, was filmed in the mid-'80s, so there's a lot of old guys in this, right? Yeah. So there's, like, this old guy, and he's talking about how, if you think about it, 90 feet, that's really just – that was just perfect. Think about how many plays would have been outs if they were – that's one or six inches more if you put him six inches closer how many hits that would are were outs now and he's he like has this whole poetic thing about how 90 90 feet was just sent from god as like the perfect distance for the bases and, and rob manfred is going to destroy that yeah with just he's like where's that bigger bases i mean i i don't like the idea i just don't like the idea if you want to if you want to increase offense great i i think the one idea in there is that I am for is banning the shift. It's and now I don't know how it works in certain scenarios. Like, you know how in um, you know, you'll have bases loaded, nobody out in the ninth inning, and you're trying to prevent a run from scoring. So you bring all the outfielders in to to cut off a run at the plate because yeah, you yeah. need that out of the plate. Something like that. Does that mean you can't do that anymore? 
or have like a guy playing up the middle, like your center fielder come in and play uh, basically second, like on second base. Like it, can you still do that? Like, no, you can write a rule to say that certain positionings can happen, but you can't have so many people on this side of the base or so many people on that side of the base, depending on which, uh, which side the guy's hitting from. You know, well, I the, think it depends on how they decide to regulate the shift, right? Because yeah. there's a couple of different ways you could do this. You can do it the way you just said, which is number of people who are on either side of second base when the play starts. Uh, the other way I've heard it done is you that infielders can't start on the outfield grass. So they ha- the infielders have to start on the dirt, which means that they you wouldn't be able to have that guy play second base like far out into you know, halfway to right field and cutting off all of the Kyle Schwarber and Anthony Rizzo line drives that would have been hits 30 years ago. Uh, So that's the other possible way to do this. You could do a combination of both where it's like there that a legal defense both has to have a certain number of guys who are on either side of second base and you have to start based off some sort of lane or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of potential ways to regulate the shift. I'm okay with that one. I think that you know, the great infielders who can cover a lot of ground or the great outfielders who can cover a lot of ground, like the Javier Baez's of the world are still going to cover a ton of ground, whether you make them start on the dirt or whether they can cheat a little bit and start on the outfield. He's still going to make incredible plays. Um, I do think, though, that what that does is it opens up some holes in the outfield for things that used to be singles that are now just getting kind of caught as lineouts. The second thing that I think it does is it is it takes away some teams' ability to cheat on slower guys. So one of the players that uh, I think about a lot from a fantasy perspective, Gary Sanchez, is you know one of the things that has happened with Gary Sanchez over the years is that he got slower really fast. Because he got slower, it meant that teams could position their infielders just in that short outfield area. And so things that Gary Sanchez should be able to hit as singles are all just getting caught. Like they're getting, they're not singles. They're not doubles. They just get caught on that like short outfield liner area because they can position themselves back there because anything that comes up as like a weak grounder on the infield, he can't beat it out. Right. So they can just run in. (laughs) Yeah. They can just run in off the grass and he can't beat it out. So there are a lot of ways that if you force the infielders to start on the dirt, for example, or if you change how many of them there can be on either side of the bag, you can create holes for certain players that are currently being closed off by defensive position. Yeah. And I know the the knock and I'll I'll push back because I know a lot of people are probably yelling at their radios right now saying, um, yeah, but well, why, why can't those lefties just learn to hit it the other way? You know, (laughs) And, and it's, it's easier said than done when like Ian Happ's there, like batting left-handed and trying to like smack one the other way as it's, as it's going in 98 on his hands. Like it just like, I think the pitching is too good to really be able to do that with in in a consistent basis. I mean, it's why you see a lot of these lefty guys batting 200 with like 35 dogs, you know, like that's become a thing. And, and, and I'm not trying to like help lefties because it does happen to lefties a heck of a lot more. Um, you know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to like give them, I guess, any kind of unfair advantage. It, it does harken, but it's called the infield. Okay. And <laughs> it, there's a thing that's, there's a thing that's called the, and it's the dirt part. And anything that's in the grass is the outfield. Like it pisses me off when the infield fly rule gets called and it's in the outfield. And I'm like, like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of a purist. Like there's infield and outfield. It's, it has a name. 
And I understand that baseball has not traditionally had rules as to where you can stand, where you can position your players. Um, but they do have rules for where the pitcher can stand. They do have and how he's got to move. Like, it doesn't bother me to say that a shortstop has to be on this side of second base when the play starts. If after the pitch is thrown, he wants to run over to the other side, fine by me. You know what I mean? It, it, like, that's fine. Because I think that that will probably not work out even more because you're in motion. And, hey, at least people on the field will be moving. You're trying to get... <laughs> This game to be more exciting, right? Like have the shortstop running around, um, you know, or second baseman running uh, over to the uh, to the left side. Um, it, it all could it, that could all be interesting, but um, I think that that would help with the offense because you do see a lot of and for righties too, you know, guys with extreme kind of pull power from the right side, they get screwed with the shift as as uh, as well, not to the extreme that lefties do, but. I think I think if you want to get off it, get some more offense. Let's have the positions be the positions, and maybe you have to if you want to play your infield in and bring all the guys in. You have to bring your center fielder in to play that short second, and he's got to stand in the grass, you know, because he's still an outfielder. He can't be in the infield, you know, stuff like that. That would make sense to me if you want to just change things about it. Um, I know a lot of I, uh, lefties would be happy with it, but. Um, I like that more than the the basis thing anyway. I, where are you at it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm okay with regulating the shift. I, I think that part of the reason that we've seen so much less offense in the game is because defensive positioning and defensive metrics have gotten a lot better. And you're able to just like, you watch the guys with their little cards moving around player by player. And it's like, oh no, I need to cheat six inches this way for this guy. I need to cheat eight inches that way for the other guy. And, you know, that's... I, I love defense as much as the next person, but I also want there to be hits. Sometimes I think that last year was the lowest batting average uh, in the modern game, in the history of the modern game. Like all we see now are the three true outcomes, right? It's like walks, strikeouts, home runs. And they just took away some of the home runs by messing around with the baseball. You know, Danny, the one of these changes that the players assented to commissioner Manfred potentially being able to change with a month and a half's notice that we have not talked about yet is the pitch clock. And I find the pitch clock particularly interesting, not because I think it saves you a ton of time. I actually think that, you know, those like two seconds here, or three seconds there probably don't add up quite the way people think they do. But what I think it does is pitchers will not be able to max out as much if they have to throw another pitch so quickly after the last one, right? Like, I think that one of the things that we're not thinking about here, or or maybe I guess they are thinking about it in MLB, but maybe as fans, we're not thinking about it. Whenever people talk about the pitch clock, they, they act like it's supposed to speed up the game. And I don't think it's really, you're going to see game times change all that much. Like a game might go from being three hours and 30 minutes long to three hours and 26 minutes long. But I think if you're one of these guys who's going max effort on every single pitch, all of a sudden you can't throw 99 five times in a bat, right? Like maybe that 99 gets a little bit taken off of it. And now it's 97.8. And that probably does make a difference for the hitter's ability to be able to make contact with it. What do you think of the pitch clock? Uh, You know, it's, it's interesting to me because there are so many different scenarios in baseball where that, that I think a pitch clock works great. 
which just to speed up the game, keep, you know, and it's also a batter clock too, I might add, because the batter can't be stepping out all the time, adjusting his batting gloves, looking down, seeing the side, you know, it's just like, you know, there, there's a lot of garbage that happens that I think doesn't need, that doesn't need to happen. But uh, I wonder in about the certain circumstances where that's really intense, like these intense moments where it's you have to make the right pitch and you're trying to get the the pitcher and the catcher on the same page and you know you already got five times that you can go to the mound and those are quote unquote timeouts if you will uh, can you have a timeout for your pitch clock can you have a certain amount per game so that in those moments where you need to take some more time that you want to go max effort because you're up against you know the toughest hitter or something like that and you use your pitch count pitch clock timeout is there something like that um probably not i don't think they i've never even heard that um floated but uh, the reason i like the idea of it is because i do feel like i want to allow for those moments where the pitcher steps off it wipes his brow and like the tension builds like why do you want to get rid of those incredible moments and then the batter steps out and then the pitcher you know looks in and then they change the sign and then the guy runs out like and I'm mostly thinking about this, by the way, in the in the context of a playoff game or a, you know, or the World Series or some very important moment trying in the in the regular season. I don't think of this in like the third inning of a three to two ball game. You know what I mean? Where it, who cares? You know, in, on, on a Thursday in April. But I, I'm just saying I want baseball's got a rhythm that speeds up and slows down and it's got to be allowed for, and the pitch clock wrecks that. So sure. Let's dig in there, throw the pitch. Let's get it going. Come on, let's go move it along. But at the same time, no, because (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, why do you want to make everything all the same? Like all pitches are exactly thrown at 13.3 seconds. You know, it's everything's regulated the same. And the whole thing about baseball is that it's, it has all these different scenarios that can happen. And now we're getting rid of them all. DH gone. All those scenarios gone uh, for if having pitchers hit, um, double switches, things like that. It's gone. You know, it's just like now they're going to get rid of 90 feet. <laughs> you know, it's like. Uh, yeah. I am I old? Am I old? I mean, maybe I'm old, but and, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just not the audience for this anymore. I don't know. I don't think you're old. I'm actually thinking about a specific at bat from last season that Anthony Rizzo at bat where he had like 14 pitches and he's fouling pitches off. And I did a breakdown of this for BCB. It was one of my favorite pieces that I wrote last year because I was kind of looking at where Yachty kept setting up. And I can't remember who the pitcher was, who was on the mound at the time. I want to say Gallegos or somebody, it doesn't really matter, but this poor pitcher is like hitting all these spots perfectly. Like Yachty is doing a master class on like, Oh yeah, this go, go high in the corner here now go down and he's not going to see it. And Rizzo just keeps fouling off pitch after pitch after pitch. And this poor pitcher looks like, can I please just catch a break? I'm throwing my best stuff. I've thrown 14 pitches. Like I, I don't know how this is going to end well for me. And, and, and it did not Anthony Rizzo launched a home run. It was one of my favorite moments from last season. Um, And I wonder how that, how I wonder how that like that goes with the pitch clock. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's fine. It was Daniel Ponce de Leon, by the yeah, way. I just looked go. it up for you. And 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 you know, I don't I don't know. Maybe he did do all those pitches in 15 seconds anyway. Like Yachty's pretty, you know, quick back back there. You know, he's probably okay. Now let's do the slider. Now let's pitch him up. Now let's pitch him down. Like that might have just taken 15 seconds. I don't know. But um, it. <sighs> I don't know. It's just, it seems a little bit too regulated and 15 seconds maybe feels too short. And what is the penalty? A ball? Because that's big. Right. That is a huge thing. I mean, or uh, is it a strike? Like if it's the, if it's the batter who's like stepping out to change their batting gloves, do they automatically get a strike? I don't know. Yeah. And like, do, and do, are robot umps able to give timeout? <laughs> you know, I mean, you have timeouts in the game. Do you get a timeout for the pitch clock? I mean, there's just a lot of repercussions that I think are not thought through with the pitch clock. And I, and I, the interesting thing is the max effort idea, but then you're wondering about injuries. Like, are these guys going to, now they're going to not be able to be mechanically sound because they didn't get back to their resting place. And now they're, pulling something out of their shoulder when, because they went too hard, too fast, or I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of, every time you, you, the butterfly flaps its wings, you know, it's going to create a tornado somewhere. Yeah, totally. Um, Let's talk before the break about the one change that the players did not give the owners the green light on potentially expediting. And that is the robo umps, which we've talked about a little bit, on this show before, I mean, I have to imagine that this is this has something to do with pitchers trying to protect their livelihood, with catchers trying to protect their livelihood. I'm, I'm sure the hitters would be like, yes, please, no more Angel Hernandez, let's go. But I I do sort of feel like that's a, that's a pretty massive change to implement in the middle of the season if you have certain strategies about, you know, you don't actually pitch in the zone, but you have a great framer who's stealing strikes for you. It seems like that's a thing you would want more time than 45 days on. What do you think? I mean, another thing that I think can go both ways. I think some pitchers will, will be amazing. Like sometimes like imagine a guy like Dylan Maples. Let me just put this in like terms of him. Okay. Wild as hell. A lot of those crazy looking pitches are not strikes and they don't get called strikes. They, but they get swung at sometimes those pitches will continue to be swung at because Dylan Maples is so wild. I remember many an instance where Dylan Maples actually throws a strike, but it's so crazy looking that it's that it doesn't get called a strike, even though it's right down the middle, you know, now that ball would now be a strike. So like so there's an outlier. Dylan Maples, there's not a lot of Dylan Maples is out there who just have this crazy stuff that you don't know how it's going to play. But I think for your average guy, or let's look at another guy. Uh, let's take a Kyle Hendricks who lives on the corner. Now, is Kyle Hendricks brilliant enough to actually touch that centimeter of black that he needs, millimeter of black that he needs? to be able to get that strike call, but it actually on TV will still look like a ball and it would have been called a ball a million times on him unless it was swung at and missed or t- foul tipped. You know, I mean, maybe he can do that. And so like your pinpoint control guys, I think they really benefit from this. Um, your pure power guys. I mean, I don't know. They're going for the swing and miss stuff. I, you know, so I don't know how it plays ultimately, 
but a strike's a strike, and a ball's a ball, and the umpires can't see. So we need this. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. The umpires surely are getting fooled as much as the batters are for some of these guys. I mean, no offense to umpires. I know their job is hard and I know that they, you know, they've improved over the years. Some of them do better than others, but it is beyond frustrating when you see a pitch that is just perfectly delivered and the umpire just misses it for whatever reason, whether it's because the guy has crazy stuff like a Dylan Maples or whether it's because I don't know. They blinked. Who knows? Like they just expected something else and they, they didn't see it or the catcher did a great job of framing it and just stole a strike or ball. It is so frustrating from a fan perspective to have a count go for, like a count should have been two, one, and now it's one, two and the difference in hitter outcomes for a one, two count and a two, one count are pretty massive. So um, no robotums coming in the near future, but we may see some other rules changes. We are going to take a quick break. For our sponsors, but there's a lot more for us to discuss here. There was a ton of news that dropped during the week, even though the negotiations were slower. We also have some Cubs news, and apparently those biblical losses from the Ricketts aren't that bad because they've got some other investment ideas. But hold on until after the break for that news. Uh, first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, Danny, let's just hash out the rest of this CBA stuff really quick before we get to some Ricketts news. Couple of notes from Evan Drellich over at The Athletic. They're still pretty far apart on the pre-arb pool, although the players did drop their ass down to $80 million. The last offer from the owners was $30 million. You really think these guys could just like pony up $1.5 million a team and get this one done. The draft picks are a lot closer MLBPA wants six. Uh, it, it, this is in the lottery to try to prevent tanking. The MLB and owner people would like five. Um, right now, the CBT and, and player minimums are exactly where they were before because the players are not budging on that. And frankly, I don't think they should budge on that. What do you think of how far apart these two sides are as the players make another offer to the owners? Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of more of the same. I mean, it, it's like, it's like, oh, really? They, they're just offering the same thing to each other that they've offered 50 times already. And they've already said no. And that's why we're at a stoppage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, five, six draft picks, who cares? I mean, I think that's like really splitting hairs at that point. Um, the pre-arbitration pool. Yeah. They're super far apart. They're still far apart. You know, um, the, uh, the uh, CBT super far apart uh, on that too. Uh, there's, there's, you know, I, there's, I don't know. I don't know how you fix this. Like maybe the owners could do something like dramatic and really raise the minimum. Be like, all right, every guy gets a million, but we're keeping the luxury tax where it is. And we're keeping the, the, the draft pick penalty, but y'all get a million dollars, you know, <laughs> I think that would work because I yeah. think, you know, I, I really do. Cause then you're just splitting the baby in a different way. Um, that's a King Solomon reference. I'm not, you know, if it's, it's a, if, for those that aren't familiar with some Bibles, some, some of the more uh, harrowing Bible stories, uh, you know, that was a, a biblical reference. 12 we're, we're years of Catholic school, Danny. Losses. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about biblical losses for Tom Ricketts. I figured we should get some biblical references in there. But, but I mean, that's how they're going to split it up. Um, uh, what, what was the other one? Oh, yeah. No, C CBT. Uh, yeah, they're so far apart that – and they just keep giving each other the same number. So, I, I don't know, like, why they even met. Like, <laughs> until, somebody, until somebody has a really new idea – Nothing's going to get done 
until after the owners start losing games. And even then, I don't think they feel any pressure. Like, unless, like, the president gets involved and it's like, you guys are going to lose your antitrust exemption if you don't get this. You're the national pastime. There's a war on. Get it together. You know, unless something like that happens, I mean, I don't know. I don't think the president has that authority. The Supreme Court of the United States most certainly does, though. So, you know, there's an interesting idea. But, um, you know, Mm. you were talking about the CBT and them needing to come up with something different for a minute. One note that dropped heading right into the weekend that I I just find appalling. I am still like so I've been hot about this particular story since Friday when it broke. Um, Four of the of MLB's owners and it is not like small market team guys who you thought it would be apparently voted against the last deal that the MLB that the owners offered to the MLBPA uh, because they thought it was too generous. If you recall, this was the offer that bumped the CBT all the way up to 220 million, just $10 million more than where it was in 2021. The previous offer had kept the CBT flat at 210 million, but Bob Castellini of the Reds, Chris Illich of the Tigers, Ken Kendrick of the Diamondbacks, and Artie Moreno of the Angels just thought that was a bridge too far. They voted against the offer even going out. And what is it with these guys? Like, I though there's a lot of money in those franchises. They're not even small market teams for the most part. I do not understand why these this is clearly a move to break the union this has nothing to do with being able to afford it or needing competitive balance or anything else this is just like rich guys being rich i mean i i think their reasoning is obvious it's to make more money for themselves and so listen i mean they're so far apart on the cbt and it's only gonna take i mean now we see that it's maybe the small market teams voting against it plus these four so that's what's uh, sinking the whole situation, yes. you know, because it because, you know, if you look at it and we're Cubs fans, so we got to look at what Tom Ricketts is doing. He's probably not one of the guys. No, he probably Ricketts wants, wants this games. to get going. He wants games, uh, you know, so I, I I'm looking at like these teams, Angels. I mean, come on, you're freaking L.A. You're California. It's the most people in the freaking country live in California. So I don't want to hear about it. Um, Is there a more disappointing owner on this list than Artie Moreno? You have Shohei Otani, Mike Trout. That team should be fun. That team should be good. And this guy's out there like, no, 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 no. We we need to keep the CBT where it was in 2021. Whatever, Artie Moreno. I'm sorry, Danny. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm so frustrated with the Angels. It's they don't want all these teams don't want to drive up salaries. And if you look at how the Reds have operated, you know, they haven't had any big sightings. They fill that stadium. They're downtown. I don't know if they got their stadium built for them, but a lot of these teams did. They they don't pay for their stadiums. They don't pay, you know, for all the municipal things around the stadium, the parking, and, the, you know, they let the city all do that stuff. They make money hand over fist. Cincinnati, that's a good fan base. It's a great and baseball town. So yeah, is Detroit. Yeah, so is Detroit. I mean, Detroit. The, they've just been terrible for so long that, you know, they, that they act, they don't act like a great baseball town because they don't have anything to cheer for or Baltimore too. They, I mean, and that's the thing that these teams that are and the diamondbacks is another team that sucks. They've sucked for a while and they're content to suck for a long time, even though there's a ton of baseball fans in Arizona. That's an, that's a baseball town. I mean, God spring training is there for God's sakes, you know? So um, it, here's the thing. These teams are content to suck and take their money. 
is the thing. And and when they suck for a long time, then they get the high draft picks, then they get these young guys, that then they could get their bite at the apple, but they could do it very cheaply, and they want that to continue. And they want it, when they contend, they want to do it in a very cheap manner. They want to do it with young dudes, um, kind of like the Cubs did it, you know, frankly. You know, they maybe added one bat, you know, a one big pitcher, and they got everybody, or a couple big pitchers, and they got everybody else homegrown, all their, all their big hitting. So it's like they want it status quo. They don't – it's not like they're fighting against what the – they're not fighting against it raising. They're just fighting against it changing at all. Totally. Uh, also buried in this Drellich piece, which I just find – I find this so gross and appalling, is a note – that one of the league's efforts that irked the players the most was a proposal to incorporate meal money and the stipends player receives yeah. into the luxury tax calculations. Meal money, by the way, is $100 a day. And, and I've written about how that's a big deal. If you're a AAA guy who's coming up and you're used to getting $25 a day. But the idea that these billionaires are like, yeah, and we should we should bump up our salary numbers more by calculating all of the meal money we pay for over the year and counting that towards the luxury tax. I mean, I just... These people are delusional, Danny. Like I can't handle it. You're gonna like the probably the laundry soap to wash your uniform. Exactly. This is old school company store stuff. I come from a coal mining community. What this reminded me of is that they used to have these mining (laughs) towns that are now ghost towns out in the canyons by where I live. And in those mining towns, like all the houses look the same. You paid rent to the company store. You paid for your like gear to the company store. Like you would get your pay and you would get like your $10 a week or whatever. And then $9.50 of that would go immediately back to the company because they were charging you for all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, uh, you know, great uh, business if you can get into it. <laughs> Just Absolutely. own it all. Totally over yeah. it. Yeah, it's and so that's what I'm saying. They just they take they they think they're giving you an offer, but they're really just taking it from one hand and hiding it behind their back and giving you the exact same offer, but in a different way. So it's they the the MLB owners they already ha- know how much money they want to spend, and they're never going to come off of that. So how they divide that up and how the players are going to get that? I mean, right now the the big market players, the high price players. They're actually going to the bat for the young guys. And it's cool to see to see Max Scherzer out there leading the, the negotiations. Not that it's a great idea. Maybe they should get somebody who's better than Max Scherzer, but you know, to lead the negotiations. But even to see him do it is inspiring because he's standing up for the young guys who are just kind of the fringe 40 man guys who are just in and out of the minors and the, trying to get their couple years. Most of these guys won't even get a pension from being in the major leagues. So, um, you know, let's uh, – I'm, I'm inspired by how that's working out. So now if the big guys are willing to give to the younger guys, we'll see if that can be kind of edged that way. And I don't think the owners want to do it because that's their whole point. Let's not pay the young guys. Let's it's, – it's what the Diamondbacks and the Tigers and the Angels and the Reds want to do, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. I I think that's a great point. I, I agree that Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller have been pretty inspiring here. If you did not go back and watch the MLBPA press conference that got cut off by MLB Network and ESPN, yet one more point uh, as to why you should be getting your news from other places, may I recommend Lead Cubby Blue and other blogs that are not beholden to large corporations and MLB itself for our living. Uh, I think that 
that was one of the more inspiring things was the way that Andrew Miller and Max Scherzer and frankly, Anthony Rizzo out on Twitter talked about this as we are doing this for the guys who come next. This is not about us. We have our millions. We're okay. This is for the guys who are coming later. Another note along those lines from the Blue Jays Ross Stripling that I just thought was so interesting in a piece that Ben Nicholson Smith wrote over at Sportsnet Canada. He writes that when they got the final offer from the owners in the last round, and this was the last best final offer that was not really last best or final, uh, because that would be a legal term of art that would mean they were now at an impasse and Rob Manfred had to walk that back at his presser. Um, Ross Stripling says it got to be like 1230 at night. And the fine print of their CBT proposal was stuff we had never seen before. They were trying to sneak things through us. It was like they think we're dumb baseball players and we get sleepy after midnight or something. It's like that stupid football quote. They are who we thought they were. They did exactly what we thought they would do. They pushed us to a deadline that they imposed. And then they tried to sneak some word that we don't say on this podcast past us at the deadline. And we were ready for it. We've been ready for five years. And then they tried to flip it on us today as a PR thing saying that we've changed our tone and tried to make it look like it was our fault. That never happened. I mean, I am just so, look. One, team Ross Stripling, team players here always. But the idea that at the at the 11th hour, as everything's coming down to the last minute, here's the MLB owners trying to sneak the fine print past the players one more time. You cannot trust billionaires. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have professional money makers versus athletes, versus professional athletes. You tell me who you're going to bet on to make more money and to to do the nefarious thing at the last minute. It's just, it's the process. It's how they operate. They're operationally greedy. Anything that they can slip past, they will slip past. They are not fair-minded individuals. They are there to make more than you and win. They want to win. They're competitive. They want to win in the same way the players want to win on the field. These people the way they win in life is by getting as much money as they possibly can and shoving it down your throat and making you look like an idiot and that's what they want to do <laughs> you know like that's fun for them yeah I think that's dead on accurate and in fact that leads us to our next note about our own personal billionaire uh Tom Ricketts uh, the Ricketts family the owners of the Chicago Cubs news drop <laughs> today so uh, if you're not following the war in Russia and Ukraine, first off, I just have to say the Ukrainians are like so incredibly inspiring. And I think this is one of the most tragic things I've ever seen unfold because it's clearly, again, a delusional billionaire who's just out there thinking he can do whatever he wants. He can take his take this country and like they're that people are just going to like thank him for it or something. It's out of control. But one of the things that the United States and other countries have done in order to punish uh, Vladimir Putin and his crony billionaire oligarch friends for this absolutely unnecessary war that they have started in Ukraine is they've started doing things like seizing assets. Uh, they've started doing things like I, there literally have been yachts that have just been seized by NATO countries who are like, nope, that yacht belongs to a billionaire. It is, it is ours now. And, and amongst those things, uh, the English Premier League has asked Rus the Russian oligarch who owns the Chelsea Football Club to sell it. And he is going to. So the Chelsea Football Club is on the market. And guess who would like to buy the <laughs> Chelsea Football Club? The Chelsea Football Club, for the record, valued at $4 billion. It is none other than Mr. Biblical Losses himself. The Ricketts family is in on the Chelsea Football Club. Danny, I was told there was no money and we had to sell all of the guys who won the World Series because there was just no money and there were biblical losses. And now they're buying the Chelsea Football Club. What is this? 
I mean, I guess the Ricketts SPAC must be doing pretty well. You know, he was raising money in the in the stock market, and I mean, God, I mean, it's, it's I I don't get it. I don't get this how this works. It's probably an all debt deal. This might be a don't waste a tragedy situation where it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity for an all. They're definitely financing own. it. To, to be clear, they don't have this much oh, yeah. cash. It's a financing but deal. But, ex- but they have access to that kind Correct. of cash, which is the same as having the cash, you know, in a way. Now, somebody else, a bank or whatever an entity, Papa Ricketts Enterprise owns it or owns the debt and they move the debt around. I mean, I don't understand how it works and this is not a finance show. Um, but it's, but I think that, like you said, it could be. No, just it could. I mean, it might as well be at this point. All we do is talk about money, um, and not baseball. But um, th- this Russian, he's losing his team, and, and and hey, it's an opportunity. So if you are one of the the billionaires that live in the world, there's like I don't know, only five hundred of them or something. I don't know how many billionaires there are actually. Yeah, it's in the hundreds. Um, I don't remember how. I don't remember. It's how in the many hundreds. Either. It's not in the thousands. So it is a pretty elite cult club when you consider ten billion people on planet Earth. So if you have the opportunity to to invest in this now, but what's interesting to me is because he's always talking about how sports teams don't make you any money. So I'm like, so that's the part you... I want to get into. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, is he gonna go to Chelsea and 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 like he's like, oh yeah, and he starts talking in a fake British accent. I met my wife in the stands here, and he like <laughs> starts. That's why we got married. It's like just like redoes the entire Cub story there, like all fake. But, I mean, um, from my perspective, if you think that an MLB baseball team is a losing venture, like you think that is a money. Oh, we've we made no money, and it, it, we just it's there's no cash flow here at all. It's all like a real estate game or whatever. Why would you take something that the valuation on Chelsea is what the Cubs valuation has risen to, right? Like if I recall correctly, the Richards, the Ricketts purchased the Cubs for something around like $750 million. They then pumped a bunch of money into saving Wrigley field and into the surrounding neighborhood. The valuation of the Chicago Cubs right now, if I recall correctly, is something like $3.2 billion. So they've definitely made all that money back, but it's sitting in the club. It's not like a cash flow thing, which leads me to believe if they want to do a $4 billion for the Chelsea Football Club, one of the things that might be part of the collateral, as our friend Brett Taylor notes over at Bleacher Nation, could in fact be the Chicago Cubs baseball team that didn't make you any money. And you only do that if you know that sports team valuations and classic sports team valuations at that only go up, not down. So I never want to hear about how the Ricketts have no money from anyone ever again. Yeah. Well, of, well, of course they have money. I mean, we all knew it. it was, it was, everybody was already always giving them excuses about the cash flow aspect of it, which is that it's all tied up in debt and they didn't, they necessarily couldn't make quote unquote payroll because nobody's going to give you a loan for payroll. You know what I mean? They'll give you a loan to buy a $4 billion <laughs> soccer club in England, but you know what I mean? But you leverage the whole Cubs against that. And then you just keep building your empire on debt, which then gets loaned out and split up and sold off. And you know, all the financialization of the world that we live in and probably half of it will become Bitcoin eventually. Um, I don't know. 
But uh, yeah, the, I don't <laughs> want to hear about it. Yeah, for sure about that. Now, no now I'm remembering uh, Tom Ricketts' no money. presentation on NFTs. I'm sure there's a bunch of NFTs in this deal too. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, wh- why not? I mean. <laughs> And Chelsea, you know, I'm looking at their stats here because <laughs> like, they're no good. And in fact, they've they've I don't know what any of this means. They've won the champions, the champions league twice. Same as the Cubs in 07, 08. Um, the Europa League, they won twice, 13 and 19. And then cup winners, the cup winners cup. They've also won twice. So they've only won all their championships that they could have won twice just like the Cubs before, uh, you know, they won in 2016. So maybe he's just trying, maybe that's his thing. He's like, I need to bring a third time <laughs> championship to these long suffering fan bases. I am a billionaire with a heart. I'm still laughing by the way, about what you said, our own personal billionaire, because damn it. I wish I had a personal billionaire. How cool would that be? Right. I mean, to, to be clear, the Chelsea football club has a great group of fans that hang out at Greystone Tavern. I have watched some world cup games with them and the, and the Chelsea fans at Greystone are outstanding. And if you are a soccer watching type and you want to get up early in the morning to go watch some premier league soccer, Greystone always has you covered and it's a great place to hang out. Um, But I just find it, look, this is so, this is such a transparent thing that they are doing. It's very similar to what the Red Sox did. John Henry uh, had the Red Sox and he bought Manchester United and they created a new little corporate structure. And that man makes a lot of money because the Red Sox and Manchester, they're very, very lucrative franchises. These are not like he's not buying the Cardinals here. He's not buying the Diamondbacks. Like this is this is a lucrative franchise that has a storied fan base and a lot of people who are going to pony up cash for Chelsea gear and for Chelsea games and for Chelsea whatever else they do in the leagues over there. I I just want it to be known that this is also proof positive that the Cubs are not losing the Ricketts family any money because if they were losing money on their one sports venture do you really think they would make a second one that is as big as the first one has grown to they would not nobody would do that these are these are money making ventures and so let's just stop pretending that they're not speaking of money making ventures danny you saw this going up today on your walk and one of these days we really are just going to have to walk around wrigley and do a show because that's pretty much what danny and i do uh the Cubs are opening a sports book at Wrigley Field. The cons- the pre-construction has begun. It was a- it was a topic of hot conversation at this week's 18th annual Wrigley Field community meeting. If you've never attended the community meeting, you should check it out sometimes. It's it's, it's always the same thing every year. There's a handful of people who are very upset that it's hard for them to get home during Cubs games. I feel no sympathy for these people because the ballpark was here first, but there are also Every year, a couple of new and interesting concerns. And this year, one of those concerns centered around the fact that they don't think it's very family friendly to have a sports book in the neighborhood that's going to be open till midnight or 1 a.m. pretty much every day of the year. Danny, what do you think of the sports book? Well, I mean, I think the sports book sucks, but I, I also think that it's a bar neighborhood. So at the same time, there's bars everywhere around there that are open till 2, 4 in the morning as well. So I don't think that the idea that there's going to be a sports book there is going to really add to the fact that what is it's March 6th, March 17th. There's going to be green puke all over Wrigley field sidewalks. The worst day in you know? Wrigleyville. So, yeah. And, and there's <laughs> not even go a game out. going on. Don't yeah, go don't out go. on St. Patrick's day. Yeah. No. And so I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, anybody that complains about, 
living around move you live moved into a neighborhood around a bunch of bars and a ballpark and you're like people peed on my stoop i'm like i'm sorry but you kind of knew that was gonna be part of it <laughs> you did and a lot of people I, i'm sure like there's a, some people in there that just bought a condo, like fresh out of college. Oh, it'd be so great. I'll live right by Wrigley. And then they get married and they have a kid. Now it's too loud. And the baby's up screaming. And they're like, oh, I wish I didn't live by Wrigley. And they're, you know, maybe bought at the house in 2005 and they can't unload it still at the price they bought it for with a, their seven point arm. I don't know. I'm making stuff up now about people. But I'm just That's saying. That's a pretty good like, story. Uh, I think there's lots of people in the neighborhood just like that. I do. I honestly do. And, and, um, I mean, I don't, I do, I don't feel bad for them. You got all these day games. I mean, come on. It's not that big of a deal. If you don't like it, move. Yeah. I, your, your house has you only gone move. up. All, all of that real estate investing that the Ricketts have done has, yeah. has improved the value of your Wrigleyville home substantially. Right, go, go move to Rosemont and go watch the dogs. We might be watching the dogs, Danny, at this rate, because we still, I mean, what they've only canceled seven games so far. They've got a, they've got a solid 18 left that they can cancel before any owner's bottom line gets stuck with broadcast rights or anything else. Um, While we're waiting to see if we're watching the Chicago dogs or something else, where can people find you and all of your takes on everything that's going on with the CBA negotiations, the future of the Chicago Cubs, the billionaires and more. Well, you can follow me at Sunranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O, on Twitter. You could follow Sunranto Show on Facebook. And um, you can watch us live. Sarah, you were a guest host on the Sunranto Show on Wednesday night, which we usually go on Wednesdays. This week, we'll be going on Thursday. I don't know when everybody's listening to this show, but uh, Thursday is the, uh, I don't know what day, the uh, 10th, the 10th uh, at 7 p.m. We go live and uh, it's audience participation. So you can like come on in, talk to us, be a part of the show. And uh, we have a lot of fun over there. Sunranto Show. Just follow us and you can see all my hot takes. Yeah, the Sunranto Show last week was was not only great. It, it was much needed. It was almost like therapy for me. I had a lot of ranting that I needed to do about these owners and their priorities and the fact that they don't, I, you know, I really, we should do an episode on this at some point, but I think you and I were talking about this either on the Sun Ranto show or maybe somewhere else. Baseball really should be a public trust. It's, it's more like a utility or a thing that you need to not be trying to make eek every single bit of profit out of. You need to make sure that people have it. And I just find it appalling that the people who own the means of production for baseball treat it like something that they need to squeeze every dollar and cent out of rather than something that they should be taking care of and that they've been entrusted with. Uh, I have more takes like that on my social media handles. You can follow me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find everything from at cup of cubby blue at, at cup of cubby blue over on Twitter. Uh, Danny and I will be ranting about billionaires looking for all of the minutia in the cba negotiations and when baseball might be back on those channels make sure you follow us make sure you subscribe to league cubby blues podcast so you never miss an episode until next time